Welcome to the Earthy Bee Podcast. Here, I talk to fascinating people who work in holistic health, clean living, and fields related to circular economy. These may not seem related, but I see a synergy. I learned this from you, my readers and listeners. So many of you have told me about your own personal journeys towards living a healthy and meaningful life, and that this desire often leads to wanting to know how to leave the planet healthier than it is for ourselves, our children, and our grandchildren. So these are the topics I discuss. I hope you enjoy it and find it useful. Today, I'm talking to Katie Whalen, the host of the Getting in the Loop podcast. And I'm really excited to talk to Katie today, and I have some questions for her. Hi, Katie. Hi, Rebecca. I'm so excited to be here. I'm so excited to be talking to you. I feel like we have so many things to talk about. We do. Yeah. We're going to have fun. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Awesome. Well, we're going to just jump right into it. And uh, so what we've talked about is that we're going to try to do a, this is the sort of the, the circular economy 101, how does the circular economy work? Uh, what what does it look like? And just for anyone who's interested in in sustainability or who who has maybe heard the term circular economy but they're not quite sure. So I would love it if people walked away and after listening to this was people would thought, oh, now I understand or I have some clarity or I I think that that or you know a little bit more clarity on these things. So anyway, um, hopefully that that sounds good to you. Yes, definitely. Perfect. So I'm going to start with, um, maybe you could introduce yourself. So I know who you are, but the, introduce yourself to uh, the listeners um, who aren't sure, who aren't familiar with your work. Yeah, awesome. So I'm Katie, as Rebecca said, and I am, you might be able to tell from my voice, I'm an American, but I'm actually living in Sweden right now. And I've been there for yeah, let's say four years. Uh, and I've been working on my PhD. So I'm looking at circular economy, specifically uh, circular businesses. And so how businesses can create uh, new ty- new types of value in a circular economy and how they can kind of help with the transition to a more circular economy. So uh, I'm now coming up on the final edge of like the final the final little bit of my PhD. And in my spare time, I have a podcast that I host called Getting in the Loop that's focused on circular economy and exploring the topic more in detail. And uh, I have a game that I also invented about circular economy called In the Loop. So that's a little bit about me. Yeah. And I love it. I love your podcast. It's great. It's so insightful. I just learn so much every single time and your guests are so interesting. Um, they come from all walks of life and all industries is what it seems like. Hmm. Uh, so it's always really fun to listen to. Thank you. Um, yeah. And then how did you, so I'll, I'll, I'll get into more about what exactly is a circular economy, but I'm curious as to how you got into uh, how you became interested in circular economy and in particular how you decided to get your PhD in it. It's, it's a very specific thing. So. Yeah, good question. So I was doing my master's at TU Delft in the Netherlands and I come from more of like an engineering and design background. And when I was in Delft doing my master's in, in design, one of my professors was really into this, this idea. And it was kind of a, a, a newish topic. It had gained a lot of popularity, at least in the Netherlands, around the time when I was finishing my master's. And 
I said like I have to kind of I was intrigued by it and I said I have to work with this professor and and do a little bit more on the topic and he was actually kind of working on two topics uh, at the same time so one was circular economy the other one's kind of critical materials we don't we'll maybe get into that a little bit further but um, mm -hmm. basically just like materials how we use them in, in everyday life and uh, will we have enough to sort of meet our needs in the future like these were kind of questions that he was exploring uh, and then he said why don't you do a graduation project with me and I, I did and that actually ultimately became the in the loop game as a way to kind of get people uh, excited and learning about circular economy concepts so that was a little bit how I got into it uh, and then after I graduated I was working in the Netherlands for an organization called Circle Economy and they were trying to champion the idea in the Netherlands uh, and I was working with a lot of companies there and seeing you know kind of the questions that they were having as they were trying to rethink how they were doing business and some of the questions kind of I wanted to know a little bit more about and then there was this PhD position that came about and the, the rest is history basically. Nice that's great that's amazing um, and how do you like Sweden I guess I should ask you. Yeah I love it I mean the nature is amazing and uh, every everyone is also yeah really we were having this discussion before we before we started recording just about how prevalent this the ideas of sustainability and also circular economy are in society so uh, I, I don't think there's a more perfect place that I could have done my PhD. That's great yes and I'm so excited to talk to you about that in particular because I do feel I'm also Swedish uh, originally we're kind of the opposites uh, you're originally American and then you moved to Sweden and I'm originally Swedish and then I moved to America America when I was five yeah so uh, I'm very we, American. we we traded places we did we swapped <laughs> so yeah, yeah. so I, I want to talk to you about that in a little bit but first if you could just give sort of the just the the circular economy 101 like what does circular economy mean <clears throat> Yeah, this is a this is a great question, and we've been talking about it right on the podcast so far. So people people are probably thinking like, "What? Okay, let's first let's talk about what this even means. Like, why do they keep using the term?" But yeah. <laughs> but basically, the idea of circular economy is saying that like right now in the society that we that we live in, we kind of have a very linear uh, society. So we we take resources like from the ground, so we extract materials, minerals, metals, we take them, we make them into components and then we put them into products. And then these products, we sort of just uh, distribute at mass scale across the globe, such as like phones, for example. Mm -hmm. uh, but then a lot of times we treat these things as disposable. So we just, you know, if you're in the States, maybe you send it to a product to a landfill you know you put it in the trash uh and then it ultimate, ultimately like ends up in as waste in, in a landfill sitting there for who knows how many years or maybe in sweden we we put it in you know the recycling bin or something like that and it might actually become incinerated so we might actually have some energy that we get back from it but um the idea behind this is this is sort of like the linear way of doing things. So we just kind of treat things as disposable and then we go out and we make new products, going back to those mines, taking new materials and doing the whole thing over again. And the circular way is kind of the opposite of this. It's saying that there's still a lot of value left in things 
when we're done thinking maybe that they have uh, value. So like when we see them sort of as waste, then that's not the case actually. Uh, so for example, like if I have a phone and I won't, you know, my phone is uh, maybe two years old and I want to like upgrade to a new model, uh, there still actually is a lot of value though in that old phone because mm. you can maybe resell it or you can uh, recycle it and actually get back some of those materials that could then be reused and made into new things. So basically we're saying that this linear way of doing things doesn't make sense and that there's still a lot of value in how we, uh, yeah, how we, in, in existing things and around us and that we should be able to like rethink how we are using things and uh, extend their, their lifetimes. Awesome. And that's, and I feel like when you say that it really is what appeals to me about the whole, what the, the concept is one, because we're taking these things from nature, right? And mm -hmm. at the core, I, I, well, maybe it's my Swedish background, but I, I really value nature. And so it, I, we don't want to, take more than we can, than what we're using. Right. Mm -hmm. But then there's also the economic part of it where it does seem like there's still value in it. So for these companies, if to be able to take things back, for example, a phone, then they don't need to buy the new, these new pieces. If those things can be recycled and used again, um, whether it's that the company uses it or they send it off to a third party, all of these different kinds of things. It seems like there is um, just a lot of economic value that could be created from just the concept in general, just if more companies started to embrace this idea. Definitely. There, there definitely is. And I think, no, I sort of was talking about waste earlier. And one of the things that we see like in a circular, the idea sort of in circular economy is that like waste doesn't exist like waste there's like the saying waste is food and it kind of goes back to mm -hmm. nature as well um like ken webster he is a uh, one of my favorite thought leaders on the circular economy and he always gives the example of like a a cherry tree so like if it blossoms uh and then the the leaves kind of fall to the ground where then they're sucked up by the soil as nutrients to sort of help the, the tree grow further. And so that kind of this cycling idea, and that's why it's sort of, it's why it's called circular economy, because we're trying to think about how we can have things be, you know, outputs and, and waste things from one source can actually become food or inputs for new sources. Exactly. And that's the thing. And does this, would you say that this goes back to the original design? Um, you mentioned that your, that your background is in design and engineering. So I'm just, I have, you know, I have no idea how a phone is, is made. Mm -hmm. um, but I can, I'm making an assumption and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but that if you have a phone, for example, then there's, you have to take this thing apart, right? In order yeah. to get all of these, all of the values out of it. So then is there a design aspect of this where there's, we need to design things to be recycled or to be taken apart again, to be used? Mm, you've touched on a, on a great point there. I think, yeah, their design plays definitely plays a, a major role in multiple sort of aspects. And I'll, I'll unpack that if you, if you, uh, 
if you're okay with that. Um, yeah, that's great. I think that that's the, the, yeah, definitely. That's what I think people are interested in. How does this really look? Yeah. Is, how does it work? So maybe before I do that, I'll kind of uh, explain like some in the research that we've been doing at, at Lund, there's mm -hmm. like this kind of idea of two main strategies that you can do for contributing to a circular economy, at least from a business perspective. So one is slowing and then the other one is closing, um, sort of like closing, closing loops and slowing loops. And this is like kind of the only circular economy jargon that I'll try to, to use. But if you think of like uh, slowing loops as like extending the useful life of products and closing loops as extending the useful life of like materials and resources, then that's pretty much uh, the, the basics. And going back to that phone example, mm -hmm. so if you were going to have slowing, uh, you would repair rather than like replace the phone. Got it. Um, okay, like repairing the screen, maybe something yeah, like that. Like exactly. Maybe. So like repairing the screen uh, or uh, changing the battery. So okay. basically extending the useful life of that phone. Um, and there is, you know, to answer your question about design, their design plays definitely plays a major role because one of the things that I have my students do in this class that I teach on eco design is they actually try to disassemble phones and see how long it would take them to replace the batteries on certain types of different models of phones. Oh, okay. Yeah. How <laughs> and, does it go? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's really easy if there's like a Fairphone in a okay. Fairphone 2.0 uh, in the mix, uh, or if I'm not familiar with that. But, yeah. Okay. So um, I can send you the link to to that. It's a company that's based in the Netherlands and they're okay. trying to incorporate this type of thinking more into their design. Oh, cool. Okay. Yeah. So I'll put that in. I'll make sure to include the link to that when we have the show notes or yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so also like really old phones, they, they are more designed for that. So like think of our Nokia's like where you can just pop the back off really mm -hmm. easily. Yeah. Yep. yeah. I remember those. Yeah, exactly. You drop it and then it just flies everywhere all the pieces yeah and then you yeah. can put it back together quite easily yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly <laughs> yeah less high tech yeah so um the phone yeah so so there are other models though that you have to first like warm up this special little it kind of looks like a doormat that you would put to block out drafts under a door like i don't know if you've ever seen those things that okay. are yeah mm -hmm. yeah and then you have to like put, put that in the microwave and then put that over the phone before you can even open it because of the glue that is stuck together to like, it, it's very complicated and there's many different, there's many different steps. And usually in 30 minutes, my, for certain models of different types of phones, my, my students can't like even get the battery out after 30 minutes. So, okay. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I think that shows us a little bit that design plays an important role if you're going to think about that because if i walked into the repair shop to you know with like the fairphone 2.0 or with like a different sort of competing phone brand one of them is going to probably cost more to replace the battery because of at least from like a at least in sweden because the labor here is you know having labor is quite expensive so um the person's uh, going to be physically having to like spend more time and more steps to actually get the, get the, the battery out. So Interesting. Uh, yeah, that's a good point too, with the labor that's involved because it does turn into a, a labor issue. Yeah. 
Okay. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's like sort of the example of slowing that I like to give people uh, in terms of like design and, and phones. Uh-huh. And then we talked about, I mentioned closing as well. Yeah. yeah. Um, so closing then, uh, I always like, I show a photo of all these little phones sitting in our drawers collecting dust. Uh-huh. Yep. I have one of those. <laughs> I'm also guilty of it myself and I, sh- and I shouldn't admit to this, but I am very guilty of it as well. That's all right. I know there's no incentives though. And you know, to, to give it back. Yeah. It's yeah. Hard. Yeah, exactly. So I think so you, you sort of hit the nail on the head there because uh, in terms of like design from sort of a systemic perspective, if we had a lot of incentives to actually hand in our phone, like if we would actually get a rebate or uh, mm-hmm. something for, for that, then that would actually contribute to like closing resource loops because the phones, they, for example, could then be recycled uh, afterwards. And then, uh, yeah, the gold, for example, there's, uh, it only, ta- yeah, it only takes like four tons of uh, recycle phones to recycle into like one kilogram of gold compared to 200 tons of like uh, ore that you need to get the same amount of uh, gold. So there's, yeah. Huh. Okay. Yeah. Fascinating. So that's a lot of waste that's just sitting there. I mean, that's just, or that's a lot of value that's sitting there. Yeah. I would argue that's a lot of value. That's just like sitting in our, sitting in our, drawers just collecting dust right and turning into eventually turns into waste unless it you know unless it stays within yeah unless it goes back to the company or it goes back to someone that's going to do something with it exactly yeah. interesting and i know that apple has some incentive programs so the my last phone i gave them back and gave it back and i think it got 35 dollars. so you know, that they have started to do some things with it, but there's definitely no incentive for all the old, I have old flip phones still sitting there. I think that the kids play with. So. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. And there, there are definitely, there's other, like the, the large companies are starting to, to do this. And as, as you said, with like rebates and and things like that. Uh, And there's also like uh, little companies that we see popping up as well that, are realizing that there's still a lot of value in there and facilitating this like take back uh, and return as well. So. Exactly. Okay. Very interesting. Yeah. That's, there's a lot that goes into the phones. I mean, I feel like that is a, uh, a, it's a, it's a, it's a big one, right? Because you've also, the other thing that you've um, that we've talked about is mining, right? Mm. And I don't want to go too deep into this just yet, Um, but that's, if you could just explain just a smidgen about, um, about mining and why that's important. I'm actually, I'll give just a little thing on me is that right now I'm actually taking the Coursera circular economy class, uh, which you are one of the teachers of. I haven't Mm -hmm. gotten to your part yet, but I think you're in there somewhere, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I haven't gotten there. I'm on week one. Um, I think it just ran the corner week two. That's, that's where I am. Okay. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. I know. And it was last night. I was like, yeah, I just can't get through it. Um, uh, But yeah, so we're, uh, so then it it starts with mining and I'll be honest, I was quite, I was, I was, um, 
I was a little surprised because I'm most familiar with uh, Ellen MacArthur's website and mm -hmm. sort of, she talks, so if you're not, if for anyone that's, if the, you know, this is kind of Circular Economy 101, um, maybe you could talk a little bit about Ellen MacArthur, um, but I'll just give a little bit of a background, which is basically that uh, the Ellen MacArthur Foundation, uh, they really, their mission is to accelerate the circular economy. So they work with companies, big companies, small companies. Um, they really just give a lot of amazing information about um, how companies can make these changes. And they give a lot of case, uh, case studies, uh, just a lot of just examples of, of companies that are doing these things, of different kinds of products, um, which is what I like. And it's what I write about as well. And I reference the Ellen MacArthur Foundation a lot, um, just in terms of products. Um, because I think that's, from my end, that's where we need to go at the end of the day is that products need to be circular, right? And and we need to have services, right? Like mm -hmm. rent the runway and those kinds of things. So anyway, so then, I, so that's why I see kind of the basics there. Uh, you know, I get the bite-sized version of circular economy, uh, whereas this course really goes into mining. So if you could just explain a little bit, just briefly about why mining is important in the circular economy. Yeah. And so that's a, that's a, that's a big question. Okay, uh, well, yeah. I think, I think it kind of goes back as well in terms of what we're trying to achieve in like through a circular economy. So one of the, yeah, with this sort of take, make, waste example, mm -hmm. um, the circular economy does like the opposite of that. So it take, make, and then reuse and extend, you know, slow and close. So you're getting these valuable resources that you're maybe mining, for example. Um, you're now having another way of access, accessing them, um, mm -hmm. not by like going to the mine. Uh, but one of the common misconceptions is that, okay, so yeah, mining in terms of its environmental footprint is quite large. And there's also issues in terms of like where materials are distributed and there's environmental issues with that. Are you taking up parts of the earth uh, to get these resources? Also social issues in terms of who's actually mining these materials. Uh, and But one of the misconceptions is that if we go circular, then we won't have to mine anymore. And I think for me, mm -hmm. like with the MOOC, for example, this course that you're the take, the course you're taking, we talk mm -hmm. a little bit about that. That's not necessarily the case. Like in order to keep up with our demand for products, our demand for things, and also the growing population on the, the earth, uh, we'll still have to mine, but we can help to reduce the, the load of like the sort of, we call them like primary materials, like they're only, they're, you know, the, the new ones, like the virgin materials that you get out of the, the ground, you still, you can reduce that, that load somewhat by then going circular. Um, okay. So I think, yeah, that's, that's sort of why we started the course with mining to, to see like in the question of where do products come from and why are we talking about circular? It's an important part to, to not skip over. Okay, interesting. That's so that is really where so much of this begins is yeah. in the mind. Yeah. And even if we stop even if we stop wasting, we will probably need to continue to do some level of mining. Yeah. Yeah, to meet the, right. to meet the demands. I think when you were talking about the Ellen MacArthur Foundation beforehand and uh -huh. I think I think oh, yeah, that, so. yeah mm -hmm. the foundation does a really 
good job of explaining the the concept to people and I think one of the things that they started from the perspective of like business risks and also when it gained popularity back in the early 2010 2012 there was a lot of like now now it's sort of like businessy but there was a lot of discussion about like access to materials for different companies and so that there was really definitely a focus on resources and like the prices of resources and things like that and that's why companies were like interested in this idea as well because they were seeing that there were certain export export quotas and challenges associated with access to materials and to raw materials and then you know this sort of this is how how it helped the idea of circular economy take off um I don't, we don't need, we don't need to get too far into, into that, but it gives you a little bit of like a perspective in terms of why there has been such focus on materials. And one of the things as well that I think our course is like the course that you're taking the, the, the circular economy MOOC from Lund, Mm -hmm. it's, it's focused on like technical materials. So this is another sort of circular economy 101 tip is like the Ellen MacArthur foundation. They have this great diagram where they talk about like two types of materials one is like these technical materials so that's like the things in phones that's like uh these materials that you probably never heard of since chemistry class like antimony and beryllium and things like that Mm -hmm. Um, and then there's like the biological materials and those are more things like cotton and different fertilizers and uh, yeah, wool and these types of materials are like more natural, kind of renewable, uh, renewable materials. And we sort of leave that out of our MOOC. We focus more on like the technical materials, but maybe it's good that your listeners should also know that it, yeah, the, that's the biological materials are often overlooked, but they also should be sort of, sort of part of this concept. Got it. Okay. Interesting. Um, so then I guess the other question goes into how is the circular economy, how would circular economy be different from other concepts that we already know, like zero waste or recycling, right? Like we mm-hmm. kind of, you know, those are the, the big words that we sort of have in the United States. I think that people are familiar with, they say, oh, well, zero waste, we shouldn't be wasting, or we should be recycling, or even the word upcycling. I feel like people are starting to become familiar with that, starting mm-hmm. to be a word, um, still gets auto-corrected by where there's like, it's not a word, but I've decided it's a word. Um, so, you know, what, um, is that something that you can speak to a little bit, just in terms of, uh, what the difference is and, and why you think the circular, you know, I don't know. I, I think the circular economy seems to be a, a more encompassing um, idea. Mm. So I'm just wondering your thoughts on that. If it, if how it seems, how it seems to you. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, because a lot of times people say like, Oh, we're already doing this or we already, this is like the same as recycling. Right. And that's what people think uh and what the association initially is so Mm. i think in terms of my response usually to that is that well we we look at more concepts than just recycling and and zero waste because we're also looking at like repair and remanufacturing and refurbishment uh so it's not about 
like just what's happening at the end of life when no one wants to use this thing anymore and when it can't be like used anymore and then kind of going to recycling but also like what if companies were able to recapture value from manufacturing a product one time and let's say like large machinery you could for example uh you know lease this out to in order to uh to to a user who then uh, after a year you sort of rip upkeep the machine a bit and then lease it out to a different person uh these types of new ideas or new ways of thinking where you're trying to ex- capture uh monetary value multiple times from like one product for example that's sort of the that's where the idea started from at least in terms of circular economy and how it's how i see it as different than recycling awesome yeah um yeah how how do you see it because i think the way that you put it rebecca in terms of like this sort of overarching one um is a, is a really great way i'm just i would be curious like how how do you handle that question yeah, I mean that's the thing. I feel like I've I feel like part of what I try to do on the blog is to explain it in about a hundred different ways. Um, <laughs> so every week I'm like, wait, how can I explain this differently? <laughs> and and there are so many parts that go into circular economy. So um, I look at it more from the product perspective. So just from what users are, you know, users consumers are thinking about. Uh, Because I'm much more, the blog is really just for consumers. I call them conscious consumers, people who care about these things. So I think about it more in terms of, uh, for example, fashion. Like, what can we do so that um, we can continue to buy new t-shirts, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And then to keep those within the loop. Um, So I think about it more in terms of, okay, so I need a new t-shirt. a, which brand can I buy it from? Is this a good, you know, is this a good company that's actually uh, getting it from? Could it be organic cotton? Is it from bamboo? What are the materials? The the you know what you would call the biological materials? Um, uh, where you know where is this coming from originally? And then I'm going to use it. I'm going to wear my T-shirt. And then what will I do with it when there's a hole in it? Right? Where mm. it's probably not something that you know, Salvation Army really wants, right? They, it's, it's got a big hole in it. It's got a stain on it. So, okay, what, you know, where does that go? So those are the kinds of things that I think about in terms of like, okay, does that go? And do I, you know, do I give it to H&M where they have their Dropbox and that stuff then gets, you know, recycled in some way with like the fabric? Um, And then what happens to that? So those are kind of, that's sort of how I think about it you know, just how I think about circular economy and and products and how I think that users and and consumers think about it. Does that make sense? Mm, Yeah, definitely. I I think it's, it's an interesting point you bring up there as well about like making the pre-decision, like, should I bring this to the Salvation Army or in Europe, at least we have like these little drop, we have these drop boxes. Usually you can see them in every neighborhood. There's like these little drop boxes where you can put like your textile, textile waste. Um, and people, what I was talking to some people who are like experts in, in textiles mm-hmm. and also looking at this issue regarding textiles and circular economy. And they were saying, yeah, a lot of people don't put, they don't, they only put like 
good quality clothing in those boxes as opposed to like underwear or all mm-hmm. of their textile waste but in reality like it could be actually beneficial to put all of your textile waste there because un- a lot of underwear at least maybe mm-hmm. men's yep. some <laughs> of it is like 100% cotton so yeah. that actually is like a really good uh, perfect kind of material to be recycled for uh, yeah. f- for your uh, for textiles, um, but like, and much better than just putting it in the trash, for example. Um, but exactly, which yeah. I think most people do now. I mean, yeah. we have. I have to say, we have all these socks, right? And so yeah. it's like, okay, so now I th- I have an area where I just go put all the socks, uh, you know, all the odd socks and all the underwear and all the things that are holy, and then I just make sure that I go and I bring it to a Dropbox, and I have. I'm, pretty familiar with where the drop boxes are, but Mm -hmm. in Sweden, it's definitely easier, I would say, than it is in the United States. Here, there's a real effort that you have to make, whereas in Sweden, you do have those drop boxes within the community. Yeah, and I don't don't know how it's set up, and this is where every system is different. I don't know how how it's set up. Uh, Yeah, and it can even even change from one location to the next in, in the same country, for example, but like a lot of times these boxes, they like partner with multiple t- types of organizations. So there is some clothing that gets sent to uh, like the Red Cross or these types of mm-hmm. secondhand shops, but then other ones they get, they send to like recyclers or, or to different stages. So um, yeah, it's, but it's quite interesting to think as you as the consumer, you've already sort of predetermined like what is valuable or not and I know I'm guilty of putting like socks in the trash when actually it would be much better to just put that in like the textile the textile bin um because that actually contributes more to then like closing these loops that we're trying to to close yeah and you know and that was the thing when I was in Sweden and then maybe we could talk a little bit about just the difference between the United States Mm -hmm. and Europe and I know you haven't lived in the United States for a while but um but you know, and you, you can explain a little bit how it is in Sweden, at least, um, in terms of ease of use for people who want to recycle um, in the, you know, in Sweden, when they have something like clothing and plastic bottles and glass and all those different kinds of things. Yeah. Yeah. So we have the font system for a lot of bottles. Uh, yeah. Like beer bottles and and water bottles or like Pepsi and Coke, like these types of bottles. I don't know how it is in the states if you have like a deposit on them, like you. So you have to re- you return them and you get. Yeah, I think it's the same there. Uh, I remember going with my mom to like to the grocery store and returning bottles and getting uh, like the deposit back. Uh, but in terms of making it super easy, like in your house, a lot of people live in apartment sort of buildings and in the courtyard there's like I don't know I have kind of lost count but there's like I don't know maybe eight different types of bins where you can put different things so they have glass recycles uh sorting area there's carton uh newspapers there's like hard hard plastic packaging uh just your sort of organic waste as well Mm -hmm. so like this is not um this, this would be like your food. So if you have uh, excess food, like banana peels, apples, eggshells, things like that, that would go in that. And then there's like just also the um, 
the sort of what we wouldn't call as like the normal waste, but then there's waste for that as well. So it makes it super easy for you as an individual to sort your waste like in your house and then also to, to sort your waste like right outside your door practically, um, which is a little bit different, I think, than in the States because everything usually goes in one, one box. Exactly. Yeah. Everything goes into one here, at least where we are. Well, there are some communities that have three um, where you have one for food waste and, you know, just the gardening and all the organic stuff and then one for garbage and then one for uh, recycling. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's definitely not just in my opinion, it's not as easy uh, or as clear of what to do in the United States as it is in um as it is when I was in Sweden there, it was like, wow, there's a lot of recycling options here <laughs> almost to the point where it's like overwhelming. Yeah. Yeah. We get like a, a thing in the mail of like, what should, what should you put in which things, you know, in which bins and like in our office, we have this whole sign about like, you know, like unique items. I think that's what it's called. And then you can find out like, okay, the coffee grinds can go in this thing or the, yeah. you know, the, the, the meat bones can go in this thing. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, you need a key basically to decipher how to, how to how use to it. Recycle. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. And that's how it is here too. And I think that in here, I think one of the main problems we have here, to be honest, is that it is different from community. Well, it's, I know it's the same as Sweden, but it's different from community to community, what you're allowed to recycle and what you're not. So mm-hmm. you can have one community here and then you're, yes, you can recycle your milk jugs. Right. And then another one where that's a no. So people I think are just like, eh, I don't know. So people either stick everything in there and then that turns into, you know, where it's actually, you know, making more of a problem for in terms of, of, destroying the stuff that actually is recyclable. And then there's the problem of um, just user confusion, I think is just kind of a general issue. Yeah. <laughs> what do we do? Where, where do we do it? Yeah. What can yeah. we do? You know, I mean, that's a good point. And that's, I think, why I got also really interested in the idea of circular economy. Like initially, like my motivation was because I saw this, yeah, this, I saw sustainability, but a lot of it was the pressures a lot of it or at least at least the communication i was seeing was it was like more of the individual and the individual has to act like in a certain way and Mm -hmm. the individual has to be like act in a sustainable or environmentally friendly way whereas then with circular economy it was more about this systems change and maybe there was even the question like does the, the the individual even need to know that this is like how we're doing things because from a designer's perspective like everything should be, you should think through things so that it's really easy for people to make these types of decisions and to just inherently, you know, when they're done using something, they, they put it in like the correct bin and they don't actually, if they don't even have to um, know so much about like which one, it should just be an easy, yeah, something that you don't even think about. So for me, that was kind of like the intrigue initially of circular economy, thinking that we should just inherently do things in a way that make sense and they don't have to be advertised as like better for the environment it should just it should just be easy to do the, the right thing absolutely and that's the thing that i'm so i i think that that's the thing that's so exciting about the idea of circular economy hmm. because i completely agree and i know that i write about individual um individual action in terms of what we can do in terms of of conscious consumption but it's a very small niche of people 
who are really willing to put the the time and the effort into really thinking about it you know so we definitely have the people who are who are like yes like i'm gonna do this and you know this is a you know thanks for the information and i'm gonna use it right but i it's it's still small it's still very small and so i think that for this to become really impactful it really has to just be a systemic change so i kind of am always thinking about that where i'm like i want to tell people like this has to be a system change like this isn't just about you as a person and i almost feel like that message even though i am guilty of this too of this message of like individual change yes it's great like i feel like there are things that individuals can do and that's what i write about and that's what i want people to understand like you can do things but at the end of the day the most important thing that we can all do is to work you know is to understand that the system can change and if that's something where you're getting a you know a new job or you know all these different kinds of things or like when you vote those are the kinds of things that you can do where to really influence a system change um so anyway yeah it's always yeah. my struggle of like how do i communicate that like <laughs> how do i say it has to be a system change but yeah but we individuals can do things too i don't know yeah no i also struggle with this too and it's like on the podcast example as well my listeners say like what can i do and then it's like then you sort of in this you know chicken and egg kind of situation but i mean from from my perspective if I look out and I see like so much unused value, like every, you know, mm -hmm. like these different, like the phones example that we were talking about earlier, like there's a lot of value in these phones and yeah. it would make so much more sense to like recycle them properly and be able to get like those materials back rather than just like have them sit in a landfill uh, for how many years. Uh, so you see that type of thing and you're just like, okay, there's like a design flaw somewhere. Like this, this, the current system, like something's not working. It's like, there's a design flaw and yeah. Who's, who does, whose responsibility does that come back to? Um, Cause you as a one person is, can only do, so, can only do so much. Um, yeah. Exactly. And I think that's the thing when you were talking about that phone, I think that there's always going to be sort of the, the early adapters who are like, oh, there's a different phone. Like I'm, I don't need to buy the iPhone. I can buy this new one. The one that I can't remember. What did you say the name of it was? The, one the, fair, the fair phone. Yeah. The yeah. fair phone. So then they're like, oh, well there's a fair phone. And if this fair phone works just as well as my other phone, or maybe it has maybe fewer features or what have you, maybe it's like a monophone. I don't know. Just, it has something that's unique about it that I as a consumer want. Then I think that there's enough consumers who are like, oh, this is great. And then eventually, you know, in, I know, I just think that it's going to take time for these bigger companies to sort of catch on um, and, and then to see, oh, well, there's actually a market for this. So I, I think that there's sort of this transition that we're in, you know, mm -hmm. these, these like innovative products that some people are willing to, you know, that they're interested in. Um, and then hopefully the other companies can sort of catch on. Yeah, it's funny you say that because Fairphone, um, I think this is actually in, in the MOOC, the, the course that you're, the course you're taking, uh, but they were, we interviewed them for that and they have some little, there's little clips uh, talking to, to them throughout the, the MOOC. 
And one of the the things they were saying was like, yeah, we're we're not. It's really difficult for us to take on the big giants. Like that's not what we're really. We're not trying to be like the next big giant in a way. Yeah. We're just trying to show that there is a different way that things can be done. And our job is to sort of uh, put not pressure, but just to sort of challenge them to to do things like in a different way. Uh, I thought that was really kind of an interesting way of seeing it and to make that a bit tangible. Like one of the examples I think that um, uh, is given is basically this idea that they wanted to use like this conflict conflict free uh i think it's gold maybe don't quote me on that you have to watch the video if you want to know for sure but they want to have this like more this guaranteed like conflict uh free uh, material in their phones and in order to do that then they actually had to have their supplier uh, who produces the components sort of change their way of working a little bit but then their supplier also supplies like these same components to other major phone companies. So by default, they've now sort of changed the system. So maybe you actually have like an iPhone that has these types of better materials in it just because Ah. like, just because Fairphone said like, okay, we, we would like this for ours. So then actually the industry standard changes. Um, if that makes sense. Yeah, that does make sense. It's kind of like California. Well, maybe this is a different example, but kind of like California where we have our higher standards for cars and emissions. Um, and that kind of influences the rest of the country just because you can't just make cars for special cars for California. Yeah, that's a great, that's a great, that's a great example. So I think we need more of those types of initiatives and organ and companies and organizations who are sort of paving the way. And, and that's something that maybe you as a bunch of individuals can can do um, rather than just the individual. Although, yeah, Fairphone, I think there's like a, a core team of a couple people who, and a main founder who who led the way there. So yeah, exactly. I think so. And I think it has to do with innovation. I feel like that's really the thing that, you know, you have, to, I, I feel like just these big companies are, I think that they, it does seem like there are companies that are doing good things that are, you know, bigger companies as well. But I think that they have to sort of almost see like these little companies are trying things and it's like, oh, did that work? Oh, well, we're going to kind of, you know, we either acquire them or we steal their ideas, <laughs> you know, <laughs> whatever it is. But, and I think that these little companies like the Fairphone, uh, is that what you said? The Fairphone, is that what yeah. it's called? Fairphone that I was just looking for another phone where I absolutely didn't want an iPhone for my, I want a phone for my kids just so that they can walk from, you know, house to house, you know, just within the neighborhood and just simply be able to call me like just a basic flip phone. Like what is the most basic phone I can possibly get for the Mm -hmm. cheapest, you know? And so if there was a phone that was really, really basic and, and it was also a fair, you know, a fair phone and, and it had better materials in it. Oh yeah. I'd be all over that because mm-hmm. I just want the basics. I don't need all the bells, bells and whistles. As a matter of fact, I, I specifically don't want the bells and the whistles just because, you know, my kids are, they just want to be on the internet. So <laughs> yeah. Well, speaking of no bells and whistles, there's like a, a wait list for the like new Nokia, like re-release of the old phone. Have you heard that? Oh no. Interesting. Yeah. So there you go. Hardcore. Go back to the, the old Nokia. Yeah, exactly. Just go back. We're going back in time. I feel like there's a minimalism throwback. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> just 
right? This is like the cycle of things. Everything comes and goes like every hundred years. <laughs> it does. It does seem like it comes and goes, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's interesting. I'm, I wanted to actually ask you, cause you were asking me how I got involved in like circular economy. So I'm really curious, how did you, where, like, how did you first hear about the concept? Yeah. So I was actually, it started off where, um, I have been home with my, I'd been home with my kids for a while and I started kind of hobby blogging. Um, and just, I wanted to write about environmental solutions. And so that's, uh, that's always ever since, since my son was born, uh, it was just, it became such a big thing for me. I started looking into, uh, really just what are the things that kids like, what are the toxic things that kids get into, right? Mm-hmm. Um, he was born in 2009. So by the time I really started looking into it, it was 2010. And there was a lot of information about phthalates, you know, just in skincare and, um, uh, you know, toys with lead and PVC and, and just those kinds of things, right? Like cleaning products, kind of just like the typical stay-at-home mom kind of interests that I had. Um, and then I, so then I actually started a blog at that time. Um, and with those kinds of things. And then the, the technology got away from me. Too many, too many bells and whistles, actually. Um, and, uh, but then I started it again and, and really just as a hobby. And then I came across Circular Economy. I was like, oh, because I was really looking into environmental solutions. I was like, okay, I really need to, I really want to understand this. And I found the Ellen MacArthur Foundation. I just, I can't remember how I stumbled upon it. And I was like, oh. Bingo! That's the thing. This is what this is really what I want to do. Like, there's really nothing else that makes any kind of sense to me, because everything. This should be the foundation for all thinking when it comes to innovation. So it doesn't really. The way that I see it is, um, it doesn't really matter what industry you work in, um, because it, this should be the foundation of of most businesses. Uh, you know, and so that was, I was like, this is what I want to, this is the thing. So that was really where I started to take the the blog seriously and started looking for products and, um, you know, and just relationships with, with, uh, with companies, et cetera. So anyway, that's how I got into it. Very cool. Yeah. 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 I think that it's great. I really feel like I actually, I don't know if this is just a random, random thing, but I don't know if you've read the book, uh, uh, No Impact Man by Colin Beaven, but I feel no, like- I haven't. I have now have to put this on my, my to do, my to do, my to read, to list. read list. Yeah. Yes. It's great. I feel like this is the book where, um, <laughs> this is the book that creates so much conflict for me. I really need to write to this author because he's just like blown my mind with so many of the things that he wrote about. It was actually a documentary and he wrote, uh, he tried to go basically zero, zero environmental impact for one year. And he lives in New York City. And this was about 10 years ago. I think it's about a decade old. Um, and he had a little girl and a wife. And so, and he gets commissioned to do this book, right? Like he gets pre-published. And so he's like, okay, I'm going to go where the family is going zero, like zero environmental impact for one year. And he does it in quarters. If I remember, I could be wrong. It was a while ago since I read it, but I think he does it in, in a quarter at a time. So he's like, okay, first we're going to turn off the lights, 
right? Because we, you know, we don't have, we can't, we don't have any, we can't use energy, right? So he's like, okay, but wait, I got to power my computer. How do I power my computer? So then they're in New York City. So I think he puts up some kind of like solar device. I think that was part of it. It's been a while, but then it goes into, then he's got to, you know, shop only at the, the farmer's market. And then it's got to only be from, the food has to only come from, I can't remember what he said. I think he's, turned it into like 80 miles from his house or something like that. That's where the food has to come from. Like and local then, and seasonal. Local and seasonal, right? So he basically just this book, I mean, it's almost like funny. Like I feel bad for this family because it's just so hard. And so he writes about like, this is my full-time job. And he's like, well, I'm writing this book. So it's okay that this is my full-time job, but really trying to be zero environmental impact is just so difficult. And so, you know, and he's really, his writing is so good and so relatable because it's like, he just writes about how difficult it is. And he's in his bathtub trying to wash his clothes, you know, and I'm just like picturing this poor man trying to do, you know, use his homemade soap and, you know, wash out his daughter, three-year-old daughter's you know, clothes. And so anyway, that was sort of this book that just got me being like, wow, like we've got to have something better. Like it cannot just be zero waste because it just, we can't, we can't all make this our full-time jobs. Yeah. So, I'm, yeah, exactly. Right. And we have this discussion a lot in the office. Like, are you going to take the train to a conference? Are you going to fly to a conference? You know, how are you going to get there? And that's like one of the sort of things, because if you're studying environmental issues and then you take, like, you fly, then you're often called a hypocrite. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's like also it often comes down to just like trade-offs in terms of time and convenience as well. So if there would be like a simpler way or a yeah, if there were more connections by train for example, then it a lot of times could be like easier to to do it. Um I think they're changing this now, but it was like it was it was as as expensive if not less expensive to like fly from Malmo to Stockholm rather than take yeah. the train, which is absurd. Yep. Mm-hmm. It's exactly. a, like a, yeah, f- maybe five hour train ride. And you probably spend that same amount of time. Like if you go to the airport and go through security and then take the train from uh, Stockholm, Arlanda airport into the city center, like you probably spend the same amount of time. Um, but one definitely has more of an environmental impact. Yeah, exactly. And that's the thing. It's, it really is the whole thing just becomes so complicated, right? I think the other thing with one of the, the things with, uh, for example, a lot of the stuff that I read on uh, the Ellen MacArthur Foundation, and maybe you can answer this is, is I read a lot about sending stuff back, right, to refill. Mm -hmm. So a lot of these questions are like, oh, so we should be, you know, send it, you know, like you get your whatever toothpaste uh, tablets, right? And you get in a little box and then you send it back. And I'm like, oh, is that better? I don't know. You know, is it better to send that thing back? Like, okay, so then I drive over to, you know, the UPS store, put it back in its little box and then it like goes on a, you know, goes on the truck. And is that better than it going into recycling? I don't know. It's like, it just becomes so difficult. Yeah, I'm, you touched on a really good point there, Rebecca, because like for clothing libraries, for example, there's like some research about like if you have like rent- rentals for clothing libraries, like is it yeah. actually more environmentally beneficial? Like it depends on so many things in terms of like how you're getting there, if you're driving, if you're taking the, taking the bus, if you're biking, like there's all of these different sort of decision points. And the thing that I've learned from studying environmental issues for the last like, well, 
more than four years is the fact that like there's no there's everyone wants like a an easy answer but it's really usually like gray there's no black and white because it's there's a lot of different trade-offs and and i think in terms of for at least how i see it like for a circular economy when and why as i said i was interested in this and really think it's a it's the has to be part of the way forward yeah is that in terms of like as an individual like i shouldn't have to think about these things it should just be automatic uh, yeah and that it, yeah it should just be like easy for me to make the the right choice um and so i think that i think that businesses and yeah policymakers and these types of system big system players they have like the ability to actually have it be the case where it is like where I, I, as the individual make the right choice. Um, and it sh- should be not just up to me to, to do it. Um, yeah, to yeah. figure that out that, so that was one of the things that I have a question for you on is really just, do you think that, that measurement and like certifications, what do you think about those two things in terms of, you know, met like measuring environmental impact and having like metrics, you know, associated with it so that we can sort of see, oh, well the, you know, I don't know, like if you had a carbon, I, I don't know, like a carbon number, I don't know, something like that. And mm-hmm. then also certifications like third party cert- certifications. What do you think in terms of if that's helpful or, or not? Yeah. Great question. I, um, yeah, <laughs> I would, I would have to say it, it depends, I guess, in terms of what we see from, and I'm not like an eco-label expert, but there's different types of like eco-labels. And there's so many types that one of the issues is that consumers can get overwhelmed and not know sort of what they actually mean. So my sort of going back at you or sort of my response would be like, so what, what, for what, like, what is, I guess we have, before we do something, we should try to think about what we're trying to actually achieve by it. Um, although, yeah. yeah, we see, like, I think with the energy, like efficiency, at least in Europe, you have like A, A plus, A plus plus, like these different things. Like, I think that has, I think there are studies that have shown that this does make a difference in terms of people uh, using these types of things, or at least again, getting organizations to put like better more efficient products on the market because they don't want to have their product have like a d you know um yeah so i guess it's like in terms of who is it for is it for trying to get like better products on your market and then having this be sort of mandatory that could be a a way for sure but in terms of individual consumers there's there's also like there's i'll give an example of like eggs where mm. like there's like fair trade, like there's free yeah. range, there's like organic, and there's just normal. Like there's different grading s- schemes for different criteria. Yeah. Um. And what does that actually mean? Because you might think like an organic egg is like meaning that they're all happy in a field, but like actually yeah. it could be that they're still like cooped up in cages. It's just based on like what they're eating. You know. So. Yeah. Exactly. Um. And I don't think. Yeah you go into your normal store, like most people don't really know. So um, I think my question would be like, my answer would be like for who, for who and why um, rather than just automatically. So they can make a difference. And um, yeah. yeah. 
But I'm yeah. wondering, would there ever be a price on waste? Like, you know, would that be something or waste or pollution? I wonder if that would be like, I know there's talk about carbon taxes and things like that, but what about like waste? I hate, everyone hates the word taxes. So I don't even yeah. want to say it, but like a price, a price on waste. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, there's many, there's, there's different ways to do this, at least from what I'm seeing as well. Like, so one of, uh, like, do you put it on the the company? Like, do you make them reliable for different things and responsible for different things that they put on the market? So um, we have like extended producer responsibility, which I'm not going to kind of get into that, but basically where you try to address companies and make them responsible for what they put on the market in terms of the fact that it's going to be waste. But there's different people like Walter Style, who I had on uh, my podcast a, a couple of weeks ago yeah like are and there's other people like him who argue that it's not like a not a not enough and that there should be more liability and more responsibility than mm-hmm. than now um but one of my when you were t- while we were talking earlier about like the recycling I thought about this example from the Netherlands although there's I'm sure that there's other places that do this but I was thinking of like a pilot maybe I think it's actually now not just a pilot they've actually implemented it but in the city of Maastricht which is like in the south of the Netherlands they have like a pay to throw basically uh, model Hmm. for like their waste so the individuals they have um, yeah they have to actually like buy specific types of bags uh, that are more expensive for like certain types of waste so then you actually, the, the idea is that it actually decreases how much you will uh, throw away because they also have like other sorting bins. So you're supposed to like sort all of your waste as much as possible and then use the more expensive trash bags for like these things that can't be, uh, that, that can't be uh, like recycled or sorted. That's right. I heard about that. Is there, where is that? Is that in Switzerland? Uh, This one's in Maastricht, but I think that they're doing this all over kind of uh, different, different places. So there probably is one as well in in Switzerland. This is the one I'm thinking about is Maastricht in the Netherlands because I was reading about this and then actually my friends used to live in Maastricht. So I was like checking out their trash bins when I went over to their house. Totally. I know. It's like the funniest thing to do. I did that as well in Sweden. I was like, wait, let me see this. (laughs) (laughs) What's happening here? Just just going through your trash. But like, yeah, yeah. (laughs) my friend, she said, well, actually, because she had been living elsewhere in the Netherlands where they didn't do this. And then when they moved, she was like, yeah, actually, I didn't realize how little like now, of course, I'm uh, drawing a blank on like the the term for this it's like the solid municipal waste, like basically the things that you can't, that, that are not organic waste, that are not glass, that are not plastic, that are not metal, like all the kind of leftover sort of things. Um, yeah. And she was like, yeah, I realized actually how little sort of what's, how little is left over once you kind of go through this sorting thing. Um, which I think is exactly what they're trying to, to, to get at as well. Uh, and she, yeah. So. Interesting. Yeah. I heard about that when I was in Europe, uh, that there's definitely different kinds of schemes. And that was one of the things that this, the Swedes all said, cause I was like, you guys are doing so great. And they were like, well, you should really see what they're doing in the Netherlands. <laughs> and I was like, Oh, okay. Yeah. 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 And there's different concepts for these things. And basically with the 
the idea of to reduce how much waste you actually like throw away, um, which I think is great. Yeah, that's great. I mean, that that's really the thing. And, you know, and I just, I wonder, I wonder, you're American, you know, and you've lived in Europe. How would you, what do you think the potential is in the United States for us to be as concerned as Europeans. And I'm kind of also wondering why are Europeans, and I don't want to lump all Europeans together, but it it does seem as a whole and not just Sweden, but just Europe in general seems to have more of these initiatives. Um, And I'm just wondering why, why do you think that is? Hmm. Now you've got me like, now I really... I know. I don't have an answer. I don't have an answer to it either. I don't know. <laughs> I don't. Well, I mean, I can take, a, I'll take a guess and this, yeah. this could be wrong. No, but I think one of the things is that there's, at least from what I'm seeing, at least in like the Netherlands, for example, where circular economy is this massive issue uh, and has been like very much on the national agenda now for over five years. Yeah. Um, it's pretty much maxed out in terms of its space capacity, in terms okay. of its resources. Um, there's, space. Yeah, yeah. It's, there's, space. there's nowhere else for them to kind of go. Um, and if they want to continue to like innovate and to thrive and survive, then maybe this could be a good way of doing it because also they're really reliant on like imports from other countries. Like they, they export things, of course, mm-hmm. but um now I'm gonna get. Ri- I'm gonna have people write in like this is not ex- this is not the Netherlands at all. No, but um, <laughs> yeah. but they have to sort of they have to manage like their resources carefully. And I think also why going back to what I said in terms of why circular economy became such an issue, like why I think circular economy grew in popularity, uh, sort of with like the perfect timing of the Ellen MacArthur Foundation in the early 2010s is about like this resource uh, resource issues and managing our resources differently because certain materials that like are found in mobile phones and that are needed for the transition to like more sustainable energy. So like solar panels, electric vehicle batteries, um, what else, wind turbine generators, like these types of things that we associate with like that we're gonna need more of if we wanna produce like our energy more sustainably, mm-hmm. these, these types of materials, a lot of them are not found in Europe or we don't have like mines for them in Europe. So it, from a geopolitical sense, like Europe is reliant on other parts of the world um, mm-hmm. for these types of things. So it becomes like a, a risk that you're going to be playing down the line. Like, will you actually be able to meet the energy demands of your people if uh, you can't produce these types of solar panels and these wind turbine generators and things. So I'm simplifying mm-hmm. it, of course, but mm-hmm. like maybe that no, gives some sense. sort of sense. Yeah. No, it does. Because in the United States, we do have ginormous space. We just have a lot more space um, and, uh, and resources and natural resources. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Europe is very condensed. Like there's a city on top of a city on top of a city, like, or, you know, where it kind of feels like, Oh, there's a city. Oh, now we go to the next one. Uh, Sweden's a little more spread out, but. Hmm. but yeah. yeah. Which the, but they also sort of do a good job of preserving that, what they have. And I think they're quite proud of the fact that they're like the least densely populated country in, in Europe, maybe if, if I'm 
correct? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I know there's not that many of us. <laughs> and a lot of us have left. And there's so much space as well, right? So yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. It is. It is kind of like a big, like a California kind of a state. Yeah. A lot of space. But, yeah. Yeah. But going back to what you had said about like why, what could sort of make a change in, in the, in the Netherlands, no, in mm-hmm. the United States. Um, I think, so I had Kate Daly, who's of Closed Loop Partners, which is- a Yes, I listened to it. It was great. Yeah. Yes. I actually sent that out of my newsletter because I was like, please listen to this. She's so good. Yeah. 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 And so Kate was on the Getting in the Loop podcast and she was talking about like what's happening in the States. And I think she hit the nail on the head when she talked about like businesses playing a role. And I think that's how she's seeing the interest in terms of interest from companies trying to rethink how they're doing things and to to make a difference and a change and i think that that's like that would be the way that i would see forward in the in the states and how we, we would actually be able to to make a lot of uh noise about this this issue i absolutely agree i feel like it we are so it, it is really the thing that needs to happen is that businesses need to say, hey, we can keep the value and we don't want to create more waste that's expensive. And um, and we're also, you know, doing something good for the environment. I mean, I think that that's the thing. I mean, those are the brands that I really try to write about because it's like, okay, there are really good companies that really do, you know, they're not perfect and we can't mm-hmm. really expect perfection, but there are a lot of companies. I know that I use Patagonia as an example a lot, but you know, they do really seem like it's it's kind of woven in, into the fabric of their of their company you know is, is sustainability and like innovation and what can we do yeah yeah I'm curious like so you mentioned Patagonia do you have any other favorite examples oh like favorite brands yeah yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. I have a lot of favorite brands. I actually, my new, I have a favorite product. Mm-hmm. Um, right now it's the soda stream, which I've probably written about too much, but I think that that's a really good one. I read about that on the Ellen MacArthur foundation. And I was like, yes, because we were buying all these, you know, aluminum cans of bubble water that was driving me crazy because my kids were taking one sip and then they were throwing it all out and then we were losing wait wait who drank out of this one and you know it just was turning into a giant waste mess um and so i think that's a good product that's an example um and then the other one is grove collaborative uh, i don't know if you've heard of them in the united states or in europe but in the united states uh they are like a, they do like green cleaning stuff but they're actually doing some good innovative stuff where like they have cleaning pods rather than cleaning like a big, buying a big jug, mm-hmm. you know, of cleaning solution, then you just buy a little, you know, it's like a little one ounce kind of a, a packet. And then you just add water to it at home and you buy a, you know, I've, I've used my own like plastic bottles where I've just, you know, that were empty. Um, but you can also, and I also have their, one of their glass ones, you know, so then you're using like where it's very much where you've really reduced waste. So yeah. And you're, cool. you're not shipping water around the world, which is like, Exactly. Do we really need to be shipping that much water around the world? It just seems insane to me. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So that's the thing. So those are the things that I look at. I'm always looking for design, you know, Um, and I just found that Everlane, uh, they actually uh, have a re-cashmere, like recycled cashmere. Mm -hmm. And so that was something I just found the other, like last week, I got an email from them and I was like, that's great. Like, let's, let's use, you know, there are brands that are really, they're not perfect, right? But 
they are trying to use these kinds of materials. And um, I think that's really positive. Yeah. And I love how they like, I love that these types of examples, like they, they can show what's possible and try to challenge people's assumptions um, in terms of like what we think and what we might think is possible, but actually like it could be done differently. And they also challenge than other organizations in their industry too. So I think it's quite Yeah, cool. I think so too. And I think that is it really even interesting for these companies to create what they're creating? Because it's all, I mean, when I see, just go to a regular store, I'm like, oh, most of this is just, you know, junk. Like it's toxic in so many ways for either when it's products, you know, like products that we put on our skin, those, you know, and, and, and other products that we buy that are just, just toxic for the environment. So it just seems like it's kind of like a challenge for these companies. Like, come on, do something interesting, like, and incorporate this into your, the core of your company and into your marketing, you know, and I know how hard that is to like work in the messaging and how do you, you know, it's, it's really hard. But I think that if you, if brands that do it well are going to do really well in the next 10 years is kind of the way that I see it. Because I don't think that, I know that it's a small niche of people but I think that it's growing. And I especially see younger people who really are starting to care. Like they don't want to buy junk, you know, and they're willing to rent. They're willing to buy used, you know, they want to save the environment and they want to save money. You know, there's just so many ways of getting people to, to really care. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Oh, well, I feel like maybe we should start to wrap it up because I know that uh, I've, we've been talking for a while and I don't want to take up your entire day. Uh, and I know that my kids are about to start waking up. <laughs> yeah. It's like your day is starting and my day is ending. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. What time is it there? I don't even know. Yeah. It's like, it's uh, almost four. Oh, okay. All right. Sounds good. Is it starting to get dark there now? Yeah. Is it? Uh, yeah. It's dark here too, but it's uh, 630 in the morning. So <laughs> yeah, it shouldn't start to get, yeah. It's, it's so sad. Like this part of the the year kills me when it starts to get dark so early and doesn't get light until like almost nine o'clock in the morning, you know? Ugh. Oh, yeah. That's tough. How many day hours of daylight do you get in the winter? Yeah, maybe, uh, usually it's like daylight from like nine until three thirty, four o'clock. Yeah. Oh man. That's just yeah. when the kids are getting out of school too. So that's like right when you want to be outside. Yeah. Uh, there's days when I just like, don't leave my office. I go there in the dark and then I leave in the dark. And actually we have like a health promotion benefit that they give you to actually encourage you to go outside for like an hour a week, basically like during the hours of 11 and, and one. And I think it's so that you actually like can get the sun, the sunlight. Yeah. Seriously. Oh my gosh. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. This California girl would not be okay. <laughs> no, I'm very jealous. Yeah. But uh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, cool. Well, good luck to you in having another Swedish winter. Thank you. And, and I'm going to say, keep enjoying the Californian sun. <laughs> yeah, I will. It is pretty fabulous. I got to say, <laughs> I enjoy it. Cool. Well, thank you so much, Katie. I really appreciate this. This has been really enlightening. I've learned so much from you just in this. I don't know how long we've been talking but maybe an hour or so. It's been yeah. really it was super fun. And thanks so much for, for the invite to, to come on and do a little bit of circular economy 101. I hope that we made it a little bit. Yeah. I hope that it was clear, uh, clear for, for the listeners and not too many complex ideas. It, 
it's very difficult to explain in such a short amount of time. Yeah, but you know, you did a great job. I think that we hit on some really good topics. So, and you gave me, you've enlightened me a lot, especially on the mining part, because that was, that's really where a lot of this begins. So 